Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we're... And we're going oh round Springfield. Oh, my God. We're going round Springfield. Let's just jump in, Allie. I can't handle this anymore. I think the audience should know that was take seven. That sadly was. He's being generous. He's being generous. <laughs> well, let's just jump into it, Allie. What do you think? Yes. I'm I'm in. I don't know when you'll hear that, but I'm in. <laughs> Listen, we're recording this. Um, it's it's nearing the end of the pando. We're all just like grasping at straws, trying to figure out what to do with our lives next. <laughs> Vaxxed and relaxed. What am I saying? Let's just, oh my God. I'm like having a breakdown. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's it's truly excellent. Let's jump in. And if you feel like okay. putting on your video at any point, feel free. Um, listeners, just know that Julia is wearing an excellent jumpsuit. Um, so any, she looks phenomenal. <laughs> so we are in the home stretch of our last five of this version of our podcast. And we're so excited because you've already heard our guest today. So let's just bring them into the room. We have the one, the only... Uh, former showrunner, uh, executive producer, writer, man about town, Mr. Mike Scully. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Mike, thanks for doing the show. Uh, so, oh, my pleasure. We're super excited my to pleasure. have you on this. We, um, it's so nice to be a part of something that's just such a well-oiled machine. <laughs> you know, just uh... Uh, fuck you. Um, <laughs> we are. <laughs> you're in our house, and uh, it's our rules. <laughs> so we had you on uh, the previous iteration of our show uh, when it was called Everything's Coming Up Springfield. Um, and that was a very fun time because you were convinced that uh, you wouldn't be able to fill up like our hour long episode talking about one episode. And so you picked two episodes and you found we're pretty chatty. So we're able to, we're able to make a meal out of anything. So, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's great to have you back. And so today we really want to, um, chat a little bit about uh, The Simpsons, should you choose, but really we want to just chat about the other aspects of your career and some of the things that you're the most proud of, as well as some of the things that maybe never even saw the light of day, because that's always a lot of fun. Yeah, we want to <laughs> dig up the pilot graveyard today. Yes. We want you to ruin <laughs> some NDAs. We want you to oh, really wow. yeah, yeah, okay, burn yeah. some bridges. <laughs> now, whatever you're comfortable with. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm opening up my IMDb as we speak because I don't <laughs> want to forget anything. Uh, you you really don't want to forget anything? I think that's a great testament to... <laughs> so many wonderful failures. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, you've, you've been on many a podcast. And so um, I'm sure a lot of the people who listen to our show listen to the shows that you've been on. But um, if you wouldn't mind starting somewhere along uh, the earlier part of your career um, and and you know, I think when you were on last time, we actually talked about some of the um, stand-up comedy that you did. I think Yakov Smirnoff came up. Um, but if you could kind of get us into... But he always comes up. <laughs> he does always come up. <laughs> uh, and if you say his name three times, um, no. But uh, <laughs> uh, if we could start somewhere earlier into the career, uh, pre-Simpsons, any of the projects that are particularly great or particularly cringy, we'll leave that up to you. If you could just choose a project that we could start to dive into. 
All right. We did Yakov last time. So we probably talked about uh, What a Country, which is my first staff job, because that was a show that starred Yakov and uh, Don Knotts. So we can jump ahead one to... I mean, it is <clears throat> it is pretty hard to say, let's leave Don Knotts. I mean, that, I, I would love to hear yeah. more about Don Knotts. <laughs> oh, uh, Don Knotts was amazing. In the, in I was going to say in the first season of What a Country, but there was only one. <laughs> <laughs> he he was brought in about halfway through the season. It was a 26 episode season. He was brought in to replace another actor. And he became like it, the, the show was about a night school, like uh, English as a second language class uh, for recent immigrants. And so he, Don Knotts was brought in as the new principal of the night school. And uh, that was a huge thrill for me. I mean, for, the audience went crazy the first time they saw him. Uh, it was a live audience show. And for me, it was just gigantic. Like, I stopped caring about the show and only wanted to get to, get to know Don Knotts. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like you should. Did he yeah. tell you any crazy Hollywood tales while you were working with him? Um, not so much uh, crazy tales. He gave a lot of, like, really good career advice. There was a lot of, like, very sound you know, almost fatherly in a way, like never leave a job till you have the next one lined up, mm -hmm. you know, because these were based on like he was kind of giving the wisdom of mistakes he thought he had made in his career. So don't don't leave till you have another job lined up. And he was just so much fun to work with. He's a total pro. He would get out there. And, and like I said, the audience would go nuts every time they saw. Him. I was constantly a asking him questions about obviously Andy Griffith, but also like his movies, Don Knotts was a big movie star in the 60s, a very <laughs> unlikely movie star. And uh, he made like five or six movies where he's the lead. Yeah, uh, incredible. And like, yeah, like The Ghost and Mr. Chicken, uh, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, The Shakiest Gun in the West. So Yeah, my dad showed me The Love God when I was, oh my God. Like, <laughs> when I was like nine years old. And I, and I don't know if he intended for me to not have any friends on the playground to relate to anybody. But like I was by far the only kid who was like, y'all haven't seen The Love God? <laughs> it's hilarious. It's, it's the guy from the Apple Dumpling Gang. It's like, you've lost me. <laughs> twice <laughs> oh if only we went to school together julia i know i know <laughs> yeah yeah it was, so getting to know him was was cool and uh, yeah the ghost and mr chicken was a huge influence on me as a kid and to this day i still quote from it uh <laughs> so it, it's just one of those movies that stuck with me and uh dana gould i could Dana Gould does an amazing Don Knotts impression. So to see to get Dana to do lines from the Ghost of Mr. Chicken was always fun too. So yeah, but yeah, What a Country was a show. It was my very first staff job. I literally had no idea you know, what I was doing. Like when the writers would talk about, you know, we're going in the room tonight. We're going in the room. One one writer in particular kept talking about the room, and I was too embarrassed to admit I had no idea what he meant by the room. Uh, <laughs> what room? So, yeah. So finally we, it was actually, you know, they had written a few drafts of scripts, but we hadn't worked together in a room yet. Uh, so we went in with a script and then that's when I learned actually what the room is. And, uh, and I was, you know, terrified. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, I, I didn't speak up for quite a while. Uh, and some of the, the people in there were such experienced pros I was really kind of overwhelmed uh, with the process. But the show, it was, you know, it's a fond memory. The, the cast was all very, very nice. And uh, like I said, it lasted 
one season and uh, uh, and got to know Don Knotts. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it must be really uh, exciting and nerve wracking that your first uh, staff writing job was with someone that is such a hero, like such an icon, uh, especially if you're already having a little bit of like nerves, like speaking up in the writer's room, like to be able to have this hero in front of you must have been on one hand, a, a boat of confidence, the fact that you get to write on a show for this guy. But uh, but yeah. I imagine that would be pretty nerve wracking. <laughs> Even when I was um, just doing like the social media um, for a team and was very lowly um, in our uh, kind of room on at midnight, there were people that I was massive, massive fans of like Tenacious D or like people that I just idolize. And sometimes I would work up the nerves to go and talk to them. But most of the time I'd be like, I'll just be a fan from over here for a little while because right. it could be hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then once you realize that he was kind of happy to talk to everyone and just a sweet guy in his head, he was always he was still a character actor in his head. Oh, you know, yeah. even, you know, uh, so that's how, how he looked at himself. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I don't think I have anything any like memorabilia from the show, but I did get him to sign a ghost of Mr. Chicken po- poster for me. That's amazing. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Every holiday season I watch, um, the Andy Griffith, like Christmas special that they did. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one or remember, I don't it. remember that. it's a really good one. It's like a, a Barney ends up playing Santa and, uh, it's basically <laughs> the entire episode is spent in jail because, uh, there's this guy who like this old man who refuses to, um, stop causing chaos. Cause it turns out he has nowhere to go for Christmas. And you find out that like this miserly, you know, jerk is actually just wanting to have some of the holiday cheer with Barney and the gang. And it's a very sweet episode. Um, but, uh, Don Knotts is very much a part of my holiday tradition every year. (laughs) That would be wild if we discovered that every criminal only commits crimes because they don't want to be alone. alone. (laughs) (laughs) That goes to my theory that like wars could be avoided if people just hugged more and said, I'm sorry. I feel like that's the lesson from there. I, I did recently read that, uh, if you Google, like, how many hugs do I need in a day? The answer that comes up is four for maintenance. So you need <laughs> to maintain. <laughs> I don't know what it is, is that, that we're maintaining, yeah. but you need four. TempleGrandin.com. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm older now. It takes more than four. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, you only need four to five when you're a kid. But when you get older, you need about eight to nine. Um, yeah. <laughs> maintenance uh, is really the key uh, word there. <laughs> <laughs> a robot wrote yeah. that, and I love it. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, I wound up working. I'm just thinking now about other. <laughs> I wound up working later. On a show, I, I don't even think this is on my IMDb, but the a show called, oh shit, it was like a spinoff of America's Funniest Home Video, America's Funniest People. Uh, it was like a home video show, but it was it was the less successful spinoff. <laughs> and but the head writer on the show was a, a guy named Jack Burns, who was a comic in the sixties and seventies, hosted SNL, had a comedy team, Burns and Schreiber. Jack took Don Knotts' place when Don left. The Andy Griffith show, Jack became the new deputy in town. And Andy Griffith, uh, Jack would tell us, like, Andy Griffith hated his guts. <laughs> uh, and, and Jack wound up getting fired after 13 episodes. <laughs> That's oh, man. Awesome. I, I kind of yeah. love shady stuff like that. When it doesn't involve me, that's when like my schadenfreude in the industry is like, 
<laughs> I just get so excited. <laughs> so fo- following your first staff writing uh, gig, did you end up being able to do what Don Knotts had suggested and wait until you have your next <laughs> gig or, you know, the basically the season ended and then you were out of work or how did you end up getting job number two? Yeah, I was out of work. Uh, oh, oddly, like, yeah, during What a Country, I fell into becoming an audience warm-up guy. Oh, man, uh, nice. Be- because there was a comp, we used to do tape two, uh, like a dress and an air show, like at five and seven or something. And the comic they had, uh, she made a-, a joke about the head of Viacom who produced the show basically implying he was a pedophile. She made this joke to the audience and he was there. (laughs) So they fired her. Yeah. He wanted her fired like as soon as the show ended. But they said, well, can we can she do the second show? Because we have nobody to do it. And somebody on the staff said, I think Scully did some open mic nights. So I think you're doing it. And they just handed me the mic and I wound up doing the the warm up and then (laughs) Had a little sideline for a while doing audience warm-ups. Wow. But that, yeah, the next show after that was a show called Out of This World. Um, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm holding for audience applause. Oh, everyone, if, <laughs> if they're driving, oh, they're yeah, honking everyone. their horns. Yeah, 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 that's what I think. We yeah, like yeah, to yeah. not react so that the audience can yeah, react. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My mic actually stopped working right when I started hooting and hollering. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> right, yeah, I understand. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, out of this world, uh, if you want to talk about uh, your experience, we'd love to hear it. Um, but you have a long list of IMDb credits, and we are not tethered to going chronologically. And more than anything, we just want to hear about some of the um, kind of uh, some of the emotional aspects of like how hard it could be, or once you start feeling you've hit your stride, and like you know, kind of at what point early in your career do you start to feel like you know what I'm really good at this, and I'm so right for this, like this is where I'm supposed to be. If that ever comes, you might not have felt that yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what a country! I, I'm not sure I ever. I, maybe like by the end, I felt like I had hit my stride. Uh, although I do remember, like you, you kind of go into it your first job assuming. Every because you're a staff writer, so everyone's above you. So you just assume everybody knows more than you, and and the people that are running the show clearly know the most because they're in charge. Uh, and one day we were having lunch, and we watched the pilots back to back of Married with Children and its Gary Shandling show, and neither one, which was on the air yet, but we watched the two pilots while we were eating. And that's when I remember <laughs> realizing, wow, this show I'm on sucks. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I want to. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to be on those shows. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. That actually kind of perfectly leads into a question that I had for later, because I know that we're going to be zigging and zagging all around. But like, you know, you've been on uh, shows that have only had that first season and then they get canceled or maybe like pilots that you know don't go ahead is there a point in every one of those projects where you do feel that way or is it 
all over the place. Sometimes it's a surprise, you know, you think that you're making the next great hit or I don't know. How do you kind of weather that storm, I guess, with that? Uh, you know, I, everyone goes in with the best of intentions uh, of even if the pilot, you know, didn't come out great, you figure, you know, you can figure out the problems and improve upon it. And sometimes you do. And other times you just kind of realize at a certain point of, this isn't going to make it or, <laughs> uh, and you know, a lot of times it's when you're sitting there at, you know, it's the night before taping and it's four in the morning and somebody, you know, somebody saying, now, what is this episode actually about? <laughs> oh no! So yeah, those are just kind of horrifying moments. And, uh, yeah. and what a country too. You get, you got to remember, I think it was the, kind of the tail end of uh, the, you know, cocaine, Hollywood, crazy stuff. (laughs) Which has come back, as we all know. uh, Oh, shit, (laughs) I'm going to miss it again. Everything comes back in style. I know. So there was like, you know... you know, John Belushi had died, you know, a couple years earlier and whatever. It was kind of going underground. And, and uh, I don't it was I was it was all so new to me. I was a kid from a small town in Massachusetts. And uh, there was probably a ton of shit going on that I didn't even realize, you know. <laughs> but I think it's good that I missed that phase because you would hear stories you know, like in the, in the writers, like, oh, if this was two years ago, there'd be a pile of coke in the middle of the table, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone would be forced to do it. So I was kind of glad that I had missed that. Uh, but yeah, now say, there's yeah, just I, a pile of cheeses in the middle of the table and governments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, out of this world, I'll just briefly touch on. Uh, the cast was super fun. It was uh, like Donna Pascal and, and Maureen Flanagan and Doug McClure, who I loved as a kid on The Virginian. But the show had like the guy who was running the show was not happy there. And one day he came to the writers privately and just said, listen, because I just want you to know that I really love all you guys. I appreciate the hard work, but I'm quitting and I'm not going to be here tomorrow. (laughs) And he says, but you can't tell the executive producer that I'm leaving. What? (laughs) So, yeah. So when you when you commit tomorrow. And I'm not here. They're going to probably ask you guys, where am I? And you say you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that went down. We we all were terrible actors, pretending we didn't know what was going on. Um, And the 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 guy that ran the uh, he wasn't the showrunner, but he was the executive producer and put the team together and. He came to me, he says, you're, you're going to be running the show. And I was a story editor. And he said, you're running the show now. And it was my second job. (laughs) And I, I, I was terrified and I kind of honored in a way, I guess, flattered that he thought I could do it. And then I realized I thought I would like get a new deal. Like, oh, I'll get a raise. (laughs) And like, he just knew I was like so eager to learn that I would do it for my story editor salary. (laughs) (laughs) So they just changed. Yeah. They just changed my title. So yeah. They're like, this guy used to be a stand up, So he's used to doing shit for free. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So that's the first time I I got to run a show. Wow. I, I thought the show would only last a year and then I'd, you know, be looking for something else. 
you know, flip to a hundred episodes later, wow. I'm still there. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But I, you know, yeah, I learned. I learned a lot, though. I I did learn a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting that both the um, warm up gig and this gig both came from someone being either fired or quitting last minute and you having to yes. just fill in the spot. <laughs> yeah, they call you the poacher, Scully. You come yeah. in from the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> and one might say that you sabotaged all those people. Is that uh, what you're saying <laughs> So, but I went, I went from out of this world to a show called Top of the Heap, which was uh, a network. It was for Fox Network starred uh, Joe Bologna uh, and uh, Matt LeBlanc, Fun. two friends. Oh, wow. Uh, yes, yeah. And Matt was a really super sweet kid. Oh, and Joey Lauren Adams and Rita Moreno. Wow. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've never been in the same room since. Good yeah, Lord. Yeah. And I was a giant fan of Joe Bologna uh, because of, like, my favorite year. I thought it was a great movie. And, yeah. and he's so funny in it. And I've never, I've never gone from being fan to hating someone so quickly. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, he was a miserable son of a bitch. That's he so was, funny. <laughs> he would come in and just yell at the writers because there was a storyline in it where Rita Mor- he was hitting on Rita Moreno and she didn't find him attractive, and it was a running thing in the show. And uh, he was screaming at the writers. He goes, do you really expect America to believe Rita Moreno doesn't find me attractive? <laughs> I ask myself this. Oh, age. my God. Uh, Every day <laughs> of my these, life. Wow. I'm looking at these uh, kind of photos uh, just of like the cast photos, I guess. And uh, I really want to watch the show. I can't believe how young Matt LeBlanc is here. He looks truly 17 years old these pictures are wild i wonder do you know if this show is streaming i have no idea uh, i would assume it's somewhere i'd like uh, to find it I, I just <laughs> it definitely looks fun yeah buried in peacock or something <laughs> yes exactly yeah it was a columbia show like so whoever would be running married with children it, it was sold as a spinoff of married with children but they oh. hadn't done it's fun. They shot they shot a pilot and then they put uh, Ed O'Neill into the pilot so it could be called a spinoff of Million <laughs> Children. I love that. But uh, it was a we I think we only did six the first year and the second year it came back with a new title and without Joe Bologna. <laughs> uh, wow. Called uh, Vinny and Bobby. Uh, but Matt LeBlanc was was great. He was just a, he was just a sweet kid. He was nice to everybody and Bologna was so mean to him. <laughs> uh, he was just. You know, if we cut a joke, like if we cut something of Matt's for time, if the show was too long, Bologna would tell him, you know, they cut that because you did it wrong. That's bullying. And just like getting his head. It's just. Wow. Yeah. But I think I think Matt uh, got the last laugh. So yeah, I think yeah, Matt's yeah. doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we talk really briefly about um, your schooling and then jumping into a comedy career? Because I know we talked last time about like you entered the Simpsons writers' room and all of these other writers have you know they graduated Harvard and then you came in. You're a college dropout. Um, but you, uh, you know, you managed to do well as well. Right. You're a college dropout. Did I get that right? 
No, maybe, yes. You're actually being generous. It was a community <laughs> college and I only went for half a day. <laughs> okay. Oh my so, God. And, and then quit. So I, because it was a Holyoke Community College in Massachusetts. And I quit after half a day because if you quit in the first 48 hours, you got a full refund, which at that time was $150. So it's like movie theater rules. I get it. All right, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I had to spend the money out like, you know, Fog Hat was coming to town or something. So I needed the money for concert tickets. It's amazing. Something important. Gotcha. Well, yeah. but, but then something came up in, in my research where I saw, is it true that you got an honorary doctorate for your comedy writing later on? Is that true? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, one of my daughters graduated from Westfield State University uh, in Massachusetts, and uh, she she got a, a teaching degree. So somebody I went to high school with was working at that college at that time. So I was a last minute replacement for a commencement speaker who canceled on them. Oh, no. <laughs> you keep right, doing so this. You keep sneaking yes. in. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they. they they gave me an honorary degree. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I was going to bring that up uh, as an example that college isn't real, but I guess you already made that case for me. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was a secret I had kept from my kids for a long time that I didn't go to college. <laughs> and then uh, I forgot, I, I slipped up somewhere once talking to somebody else, but a couple of them were in the room and they heard it. And like, you didn't go to college. (laughs) All my college, all my lectures about you got to do good in school if you're going to get into a good college. All that just flew out the window. (laughs) That's excellent. I mean, as we've been discussing, you've done quite well for yourself. But I think that that also speaks to just like the chutzpah and, you know, the want and passion of like breaking into this industry, learning from the people around you, rising to the tasks as they are, you know, recently vacated from people who were going through various tragedies and, you know, yes. just, <laughs> just, just yeah, being no, open I, and ready. <laughs> no, it's true. When I came out here, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know anybody in the business. I, there was no like pipeline of like, you know, something like the Harvard pipeline or like Emerson had a big, you know, uh, show business pipeline at the time. I, 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 it was one of those things, I think, where like ignorance was my friend, uh, because if I had really known what the odds were of succeeding, I probably never would have even made the trip out. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I was like doing shit like, you know, just going to tapings of shows. And I, I bought used TV scripts at Larry Edmonds in Hollywood and studied them like textbooks and kind of taught like and then I'd watch the, the, if I could find the episode, if it happened to be on like a repeat of the episode that I had the script for, I'd follow it. Oh, that's great. To see like what they did and what they changed. And I gradually took, kind of taught myself the format of a, of a TV script and figure out where the commercial breaks go. <laughs> <and stuff like laughs> that's that. great. That's great. I love that. I mean, um, there, there's so much, um, there's so many resources now that are available to people um, online. Um, and so people that are listening to this that are interested in doing the same thing, uh, you don't even have to leave your house and you could look up like some pilot scripts and stuff like that. But it's such a good way to um, to kind of learn it firsthand of just kind of like, you know, 
same with writing a song. Like you need to be very familiar with like how songs work mm-hmm. before you're really writing. Yes, one. yeah. It's all about sharpening your instincts and sort of like having your fingers learn that muscle memory of like how to write dialogue, how to cut to the next scene, stuff like that. And I feel like most of my iCloud storage is just like old pilots that I've downloaded <laughs> off the end. I have to keep buying more to keep yes, up with yeah. the storage. Anyway. Uh, to, just to circle back, the, the, the Gary Shandling pilot is one of my very favorites ever. Um, it's great. Yeah. I also, I have a, kind of a, a newer friend who we share a love of um larry sanders and i'm like well then of course you're my friend like this is excellent <laughs> like <laughs> I, I already know that you're my friend now <laughs> yeah larry sanders is so good, so uh, good. that was that was actually that was one of my spec scripts i i think i had the first larry sanders spec script out around town uh because i just love the show so much uh, and uh, I, I wanted to get one out there really fast because I knew the market was going to be flooded with Larry Sanders in the way that it got flooded with Seinfeld scripts. Oh, sure. Like, yeah, oh, my God. Do you remember? Um, do you happen to remember what the premise of uh, your spec script for Larry Sanders show? Uh, yes, actually, I do. Uh, it's an idea I come back to periodically where... Uh, Larry has, uh, I forgot who the guest is on the show, or maybe it's like Bob Hope. Basically, someone's going over to entertain the troops, and Larry's just like, like kind of fawning over, like their patriotism, like, God, you know, I, re- I really wish, you know, I could do that kind of thing. I got, I'm tied down to the show here, but boy, you know, if I could go on a trip like that, it must feel so good to see those faces. And he like, well, come join me. He kind of gets trapped on the air <laughs> into right. making a trip he does not want to make at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the rest of the show is him trying to get out of it or get somebody to take his place. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. so curb your enthusiasm too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take a quick break. Uh, listeners, let us know what spec script you would have written for Larry Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Schmanners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? Hey there, beautiful people. Did you hear that good, good news? Something about the baby Jesus? Mm, he's coming back. Or do you mean the fact that <laughs> Apple Podcasts has named Fanti one of the best shows of 2020? I mean, we already knew that we was hot stuff, but a little external validation never hurts, okay? Hosted by me, writer and journalist Jared Hill. And me, the ebony enchantress myself, <laughs> Travel Anderson. Fanti is your home for complex conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the people, places, and things. We're huge fans of, but got some anti-feelings toward. You name it, we fan-tie you. Nobody's off limits. Check us out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your Slayworthy audio. Hey, 
Hey, we're back from our break. Julia, did you have a great break? I had a great break. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> You're lying. We sat here and talked to each other. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and it was miserable. It was miserable. I know. Why did you leave me alone? <laughs> Uh, so uh julia uh why don't you uh kick us off yeah so diving back into your imdb you know we've talked about you working on other people's shows and filling in and you know rising up the ranks um let's talk about the first time that you wrote your own sold your own show um what was that whole process like for you It, it was kind of it's terrifying you know because you sit there in a room you know, thinking, well, if this was my show, what I, you just quietly think to yourself, if this is my show, I know what I would do, you know, because you don't have a show and you're not going to be running that. So now you actually have to come up with an idea. And um, uh, the first one that actually got shot uh, was a pilot starring uh, a comedian named Robert Schimmel, who passed away uh, a few years back. Uh, a very funny comic, kind of he was a filthy stand-up comic, but a lot of the filthiness was about his family life, and he kind of made it relatable. They weren't just like dirty jokes for the sake of being dirty, and I found him super funny, and he kind of had this look. If you look him up online, you'll find clips of some of his specials. He had the look of like, uh, like well, he used to be a stereo salesman in the 70s and 80s, <laughs> and, he, and he kind of fits it, you know? Uh, <laughs> So that was a show uh, I did for Fox and the pilot process, the, the, the person that was running the network at the time was not enjoying the pilot. The night before you shoot it, the network president comes to watch the final run through and he just hates it. Oh, no. I mean, like, like really hates it. <laughs> <laughs> and, but we didn't realize it, you know, until it's like time to sit down to get notes. And then he's telling me just how much he hates it, that he doesn't care about the people in the show. He doesn't care about their problems that he's oh, going no. on. <laughs> and you have to sit there and kind of nod your head. Oh, uh, yes. Very good. Very uh, good. We'll fix uh, that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's we'll we'll we'll. You know, we'll t we'll tweak a couple of jokes here and there, and uh, <laughs> may maybe change a pillow on the set, and we should be good. Uh, oh, that's always <laughs> a good rule. <laughs> yes, yeah. Change a pillow. That's the first thing I learned in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now he wow. hated it so much, and I didn't know like how to react to it, and uh, and I said, I I don't know what to tell you. I I said I actually think it's working. I said, I said, maybe I'm too close, but I, I think it's working. And this is kind of the version I want to do. I mean, we'll look at some stuff tonight, but this is really the version I want to do. And he said, well, I, uh, I don't, I just realized this is a timely thing. Uh, he said, he stood up and said, well, I guess we're just the Israelis and the Jews on this one. And, and he walked out of the stage. Oh my God. That was his final line to me. <laughs> and so before he hit the door, I yelled, I said, which one am I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> but the, uh, the weird ending to that whole thing was ultimately they ordered the show. It tested well and they ordered uh, the show. And then the star of the show, unfortunately, Robert Schimmel got sick. Oh, uh, and, and he was, uh, 
So they ultimately, the short version is we wound up not doing the show. Oh, so. man. <laughs> but that, that's amazing that you were, um, you know, f- for pretty early on in your career, at least in terms of making your own stuff, it's pretty remarkable that you were able to kind of recognize like, well, <laughs> this thing that you don't like happens to be the thing that I do like. And this is the version yeah. I want to do instead of, you know, if you maybe had taken those changes or notes, like, you know, to like very seriously, it's possible that you wouldn't have even gotten the series order. Um, so yeah. then it wouldn't have tested I well. Think, yeah. The, the temptation I think for uh, writers, uh, not so much temptation, but it's a trap you can, you can fall into during a pilot uh, is, trying to make everyone happy right. uh, yeah. and, you know, t- trying to take all the notes as thinking that that's the path to getting a show on the air. Uh, because at that point, you know, it's the night before you're going to shoot it. <laughs> uh, if, if you don't know like what your pilot is, you're in trouble. And if all these notes coming in, you know, let their, con- their, you know, their conflicting notes and you don't know how to do it, but you're trying to keep the network happy and, I, you know, usually this does not work out. You do a panic rewrite the night before you shoot. You just throw out the script and start <laughs> over again. And then the, the, the problem is when they don't pick it up, nobody says, hey, sorry, we really steered you the wrong way. Uh, that, yeah. You know, like, it, it just, you know. Exactly. <laughs> you may find that like a lot of times you'll get conflicting notes from the same source, which just, you know, exposes them for not knowing what they want. And so that's when listening to your gut and not bending over backward for the sake of just everyone getting along is the right instinct to sharpen and, you know, continue to strengthen over time. Yeah. Cause sometimes what they're saying too, is I, you know, I've learned this over the years, what feels like they hate the whole thing sometimes can be like a couple of like little moments that they're not, that they really don't like, <laughs> uh, but they're, they're articulating it in a way where they, it feels like they just hate the show. <laughs> uh, and so, so sometimes you can find those moments and try to find, you know, kind of the note behind the note uh, and you tweak those things or, you know, you want it, it to feel like a collaborative effort. If you, if it just turns into, no, fuck you, I'm not doing it, then they're pro- your pilot is probably dead just because of the way you acted. Yeah, you're not easy to work uh, with. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, we're going to replace this guy and put Scully in immediately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but if you, can, if you can find a couple ways to try to hear what they're saying and maybe tweak it or shoot an alternate version of it and then make the decision later, uh, you know, still get your scripted version if you can, but, you know, try to take a hard look, you know, because it is a business and you do want to, you do want to sell it, but you know, these are like lessons learned, you know, over mm-hmm. time, uh, that, you know, it is a team effort and, and they're not trying to ruin your show. Right. They want, yeah, they want it to be good too, you know, cause if, if it goes well, it's a feather in their cap, you know, that's so, you know, it's always like a little bit of a tightrope, 
you know, and there's, you know, there's a lot at stake for everyone. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. that, that's a really good lesson. Um, just in terms of like, I, I think it would be easy early into one's development career to kind of think like it's, it's them against me. It's just like, no, we're all on the same team. And like, we really yeah. do have to, <laughs> like, it's all of us against, <laughs> you know, it, it, I, yeah. I think that uh, yeah. it, it does seem like uh, ego management is a pretty uh, uh, mm-hmm. big obstacle for a lot of folks in terms of like, well, I know what's best or, or the opposite. It could just be like, yeah, I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing and I'm going to tell everyone how little I know instead of kind of faking it a little bit, which seems yeah, to be a yeah. little important. <laughs> yeah. And you also don't know, like, like, did they just come from another like pilot rehearsal that went terribly, you know, like, are <laughs> they starting to lose faith in their choices of the shows that they ordered to go to pilot? Yeah. That yeah, So they may be coming in kind of freaked out about what they just watched or upset about that. And then they come into yours and they maybe zero in on stuff that they're not liking. Mm-hmm. So you just, you just don't know. So, you know, it's trial and error. I've made some, you know, dumb mistakes in, in my life and, and handled some situations. <laughs> uh, not great. Uh, but, you know, uh, you learn these things over time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So jumping ahead to um, the next uh, show that you created that actually got on the air, what was it about that process that was different? I mean, obviously now you have it airing in front of, you know, millions of people. Did that change how you navigated that show or did you learn new lessons with that process going forward? Oh yeah, you you learn. I'm still you know I'm still learning. I'm in my sixties and I'm still you're still learning stuff because the business is always changing. Uh, but yeah, that show was a show. I, th- I think you're referring to the pits. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was a show. The the network had been looking for uh, what they call like a live action cartoon to air on Sunday night, where they could you know put it in between you know, animated shows, but still have that same vibe, you know, of an animated show. So we, uh, my wife, uh, Julie and I came up with this show called The Pits about the unluckiest family in the world. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we wrote the pilot. We had a, a really terrific cast. Uh, yeah. Dylan Baker. Lizzie Kaplan. And it was Lizzie Kaplan's first, I think, regular series job. She was, I think she had recurred on Freaks and Geeks. And this, but this was going to be her first uh, regular series role. And uh, uh, David Henry uh, and uh, Kelly Waymeyer, who uh, also sadly passed away. I'm realizing now I have this trail of death that follows me around here. But, uh, <laughs> people dying before their time, uh, which is sad. But uh, yeah, so that show. Uh, you know, it, it was like all the problems that this family had were like crazy problems. Like Lizzie Kaplan was their teenage daughter. Uh, they buy her her first car after she gets her license and the car is haunted. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Christine uh, kind of a story. And the car kidnaps her and takes her to Vegas to get married at a drive through wedding chapel. (laughs) And so it was like the stories all, we we wanted them all to reach that kind of level of craziness to stand out, to always sound like a sitcom story about our daughter. We're buying our daughter her first car. 
that that's the, the standard sitcom setup. And then what was the pits twist on it? I love that. And we were having a ball doing it and the staff was fun. Uh, you know, besides uh, Julie being there, we had uh, uh, Tom Gamble and Max Pross and uh, Alex Sulkin and Wellesley Wild. Wow. It was their first sitcom wow. staff job. Yeah, prior to that, they had been working uh, for Craig Kilborn, I believe, oh, cool. uh, writing writing jokes over there. Uh, so uh, they were there, and uh, Seth MacFarlane was in between. It was one of the two times Family Guy had been canceled by Fox, <laughs> <laughs> and and Seth was kind of fed up with it because I give up, you know, on animation. I, I and he wanted to learn live action, and he saw the pilot and he thought it was a good sensibility kind of a transition for him to learn live action, but still have the animation sensibility. Yeah, totally. Show. So Seth was a consultant on the show. That's where he met Sulkin and Wild. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And my brother, Brian, uh, was on the show. So we were having a ball on the show. And, you know, this, the marching orders were, give us a live action cartoon. And and we did. And they said, make it wild. It's, it's the same network president that I had the argument about Schimmel. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he, he said, don't hold back, make it wild and crazy. And then when he saw the, the cut of the first episode, <laughs> he kind of freaked out. He goes, this is wild. This is crazy. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's excellent. Uh, <laughs> so I think we shot seven of them i think they aired four of them mm. uh before before they bailed out man that's uh, too bad it, it sounds like such a fun show and knowing uh knowing that parks and rec eventually becomes like such a staple of being like a, a kind of cartoony not as absurd as what you're describing but there being like these kind of cartoonish elements like it's interesting to kind of see a bit of a precursor for what would end up being like such a successful version of, of that type of thing uh one thing i'm curious about i don't think that you talked about it with us before uh is just how you and julie met and how you guys ended up uh working together or was it the other way around <laughs> did you guys oh uh, we we met on out of this world uh, oh wow uh yeah that's where we became friends and uh and so we, you know, we worked together on that show. Then we lost track of each other for a few years because she went off on other shows and then uh, met back up again later. So That's awesome. uh, I'm trying to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's been fun. The, you know, we have a big family. So there was a period where she very graciously, you know, took a backseat because she was actually working on network shows before I was. Um, <laughs> I was doing the like, first run syndication, like out of this world and uh, and what a country. And uh, so she was uh, landing on network shows. But when the Simpsons offer came along, uh, you know, she said our, our original plan was because we you know, we had heard the show had bad hours that might not be like great for the family. And we tried both working on different shows at that time. And it, it just wasn't good for the kids. So she said, you know. I'll step back. She took the back seat. I'll stay here with the kids. And she's do the Simpsons for you know, two years. You, and then it's on your resume. <laughs> and then, then we'll find shows with better hours that are better for our family. But, you know, so it was, you know, great career advice. 
except the two-year plan turned into 28 years. And, uh, yeah. and going, I mean, you're still, do you still technically work on the show like one day a week? I, I just finished doing that this oh, year. Wow. So, uh, Congratulations. so I'm full-time, full-time on Duncanville. So no, I, I miss it. The Simpsons was always like kind of a home base mm-hmm. and they were always great about, you know, keeping a keeping a chair at the dinner table for me, Aww. you know, when I was off doing other things. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about Duncanville. That's such an awesome project. It's uh, how, how did this kind of originate? Uh, just everything uh, leading into it. Uh, Duncanville originated with a, <laughs> we were actually in uh, office at 20th Century Fox talking about development and like, and, and it was one of those meetings of like, so, you know, have you been thinking about shows and, you know, like got any ideas that you want to talk about and didn't really have anything, uh, but kind of bluffing your way through the meeting. Like, you know, yeah, I'm kicking, you know, kicking, kicking some stuff around, you know, it's working it out. <laughs> it's gestating as yeah, we speak. Working, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, make making sure it has legs, you know. Uh, but while I'm sitting there, I get a text from Amy uh, saying, "Hey, do you want to try to do an animated show together?" Oh wow! <laughs> uh, and you know, so you, you immediately answer that, you know, all caps yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the next year, uh, we met like Julie and I we're meeting with Amy and we started kind of slowly putting this show together. Like we knew we wanted to be a teenager and a teenage boy we thought was fun with Amy playing the 15 year old boy and his mom. (laughs) And I think it took us about a year to, you know, working on it sporadically to get it all together. And then we eventually pitched it to Fox and then uh, went through the whole, like we wrote the pilot, did a presentation of the animation and then, uh, you know, animation is such a slow development process. So yeah, right. we started working on it in 2016 and we got the pickup at the end of 2018. Wow. I think. Uh, so, yeah. And we just started working two weeks ago on season three. Actually, well, this won't air. The, the day we're recording this, uh, season two starts tonight mm. on Fox. Awesome. Uh, so... So listeners yeah, will have enjoyed this new season um, for several <laughs> weeks, if not a month. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, and, and and if they're sitting there right now going, "What the hell's Duncanville? I've never heard of this show." <laughs> they uh, they can go to Hulu uh, and watch it there because the episode goes up on Hulu the next day. Oh, perfect! So like, yeah, like tonight, like the first episode. Uh, we have a great kind of Parks and Rec mini reunion in the show. The guest stars are Adam Scott, Aubrey Plaza, Retta, and Nick Offerman joining Amy and Rashida Jones, wow. who are regulars in, on Duncanville. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they can go to Hulu and check it out. Or uh, I don't know the other platforms. Fox now, uh, Tubi, I've been hearing about it. Don't, <laughs> Tubi! Don't, Verizon, go. I'm still, um, yeah, I'm still learning what Tubi is. I still have CISO for some reason. I'll never delete it. Um, <laughs> it's just weird car ads now. Um, so, <laughs> Mike, I, I'd love to ask you, as somebody who bounces between animation and live action um, so much, and uh, obviously, you know, with animation, you have, like, the, the top of the heap with your, you know, stats with that. But as you're developing, obviously, you're on an animated show right now. But in the future and maybe in the past, like, what is that moment for you in deciding, like, 
whether an idea should be animated or should be live action. Um, and, and I'm also thinking like within this pandemic, there's definitely been a gold rush of animation development. A lot of ideas that seem like they're pushing into that medium that maybe don't necessarily need to be. What do you think is like, what is clearly making an idea animated versus live action? Yeah. It, um, kind of like whatever, like the tone of the show you want to be like comedy wise, uh, emotionally things, you know, you want the emotions to be solid and, and like emotions that would work in an animated show or a live action show. But comedy wise, if you want your tone to be you know, a little more, you want to be able to kind of defy gravity in animation. Yeah. Uh, you want to be able to do things you can't do in a live action show. Uh, and so that's kind of like where we decide, you know, what do we think is funny about this? Where could it go story-wise? And what would be the most fun way to tell those stories? You know, we thought with Duncanville, as, as the more we talked about it, it just started to feel like, you know, this could be fun. And Amy is, you know, uh, you know such a great, you know, voice talent. And, and she brings a lot of funny to the show and has great takes on characters. So it just be kind of, a, you know, like from the beginning that she wanted to do an animated show and we were kind of itching to do another one. We hadn't done one since the animated Napoleon Dynamite back in like 2011, I think. Uh, so, yeah, the timing was just right. But there's other ideas. You know, we're always kicking around ideas and just deciding kind of early on, is this animated or live action? The pandemic I was hearing from a lot of friends where they were going in pitching a live action show. And then during the meeting, it became is, you know, could you make this an animated mm, show? Right. Uh, which doesn't really always work unless you're really willing to adjust the tone of your yeah. show. Um, you know, it's stuff like, you know, like, well, you know, on Simpsons, for example, you know, Bart, you know, Homer strangling Bart, you know, <laughs> In a live action show would just be Horror. horrifying. <laughs> yeah. If that was on Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, you know, That's be, in my spec it, for Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, yeah. It becomes a very different show. You know? so, uh, but I, I've always point. liked, I've always liked kind of keeping toes in both. Play. It actually happened. I had been doing Simpsons. We did the pits. And I was getting ready to go back to The Simpsons when it was canceled. Got a call um, from Phil Rosenthal asking if I would be interested in coming over to Raymond. And I was already a big fan of the show. It had been on, I think it was like season seven. And I really loved the show. And I was kind of like licking my wounds from the pits and going to go back to my comfort zone at The Simpsons. And I found out that you can get typecast as a writer yeah. <laughs> that, you know, you know, Phil had talked to the network and they had actually shot down my name uh, saying, well, he's a cartoon guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't realize as a writer, you can get typecast. <laughs> uh, so, and that really shook me up because at that time, you know, I thought, well, how much longer can this Simpsons thing last? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it actually made me want to do uh, Raymond. So I told Phil, if he didn't mind going to bat for me, I would love to do it. Uh, That's awesome. And, and he did, you know, he did that for me. And yeah, I had a great time. I was there for two seasons and had a ball and then wound up doing a multicam pilot after that called uh, 
complete savages. So I, oh yeah. But I, yeah, I've always been lucky. I've been very fortunate that people let me kind of go back and forth. Yeah. You know, yeah. Cause I, you know, we, Julie and I joke that we've basically, you know, between, you know, animation and, you know, single cam and multi-cam that we, you know, we've, we've done all the cams. We're very comfortable. <laughs> if you have a cam, we can probably do it. We, we actually did a hidden camera show once. Really? I was about to ask. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a show called the Hit Squad or just Hit Squad, I guess. And it was basically all day long. You're pitching candid camera kind of bits to do and shooting at various locations around L.A. And it was the show was kind of a disaster because when you got to the moment of revealing to the, 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 the mark in the scene, like that moment, like when you say, you're, you know, smile, you're on candid camera. And then like the person goes, you know, flips out and right, right. You know, gives, gives you that great reaction of shock and, and delight when they don't, when they've never heard of your show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we always like our, our poor actors always had to say, you've just been hit by the hit squad. And then inevitably you could just cut all you get in return is a blank look. What? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, That's very no. funny. And wow. then we, so we would have to edit out the part where we explain to them, <laughs> well, the show is like candid camera. Uh, and so when we say you've been hit by the hit squad, if, you know how people react on candid camera and they're surprised. <laughs> if you could give us something like that. <laughs> oh my God. That's and amazing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And some people would just refuse to do it. Uh, uh, other people we would have to pay. That's excellent. Yeah. Uh, we had a very fun cast of like great improv actors and uh, who were very brave because doing hidden camera bits, knowing that the payoff is not going to be good at the end, uh, <laughs> that you're going to have to explain. As a matter of fact, I'm just, I'm just thinking back. We had a, oh my God. Uh, a stand-up comic, I think his name is David Wood, and he was like filling in for one day on the show, and he asked us, like, so do people get upset with once you tell them that it's all fake? And that it's, and we said, no, 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 people are cool. Like, they might not know what you're talking about, but you know, nobody gets upset. And we were in a video store uh, in West LA, and the the bit was. <laughs> People were like renting, you know, uh, you know, VHS, you know, videotapes, and the clerk would loudly say the names of what movies they were renting, mm-hmm. uh, and we had fake movies under the counter that we would substitute for what they're doing, and they were all like uh, porn movie titles, <laughs> uh, and the idea is we would, you know, the, the actor would have to say it out loud. The customer gets embarrassed because there's other people <laughs> in the store and live, and so we had told this guy, "Don't worry, it'll it'll be cool." Guy grab he starts doing the bit, and the guy's like, "What are you talking about? I that's not what I rented." He goes, "I'm afraid it is." So here they are, and he's showing. <laughs> the guy grabs <gasps> the actor by the shirt and pulls him over the counter. Oh my god! <laughs> so we we had to go running in from the van, like, "No, no, let him go. It's a joke. It's a joke." <laughs> oh no! Oh my god! At least he got a fun story out of it. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, if you did that show today and it was produced by Absolutely, they would recut it to be like a Tim and Eric 
you know, sketch oh, yes. and something yes. yeah, with all yeah, these weird yeah. zooms and like pizza <laughs> transitions or whatever. It would have been a hit. Anyway. That's amazing. Uh, well, Mike, we're starting to wrap up uh, the show. Uh, before we do, oh, right. um, you've already given some very good insight and advice. Um, but would would you say, could you give, can you be Don Knotts to our listeners and give uh, give some parting <laughs> advice uh, for people Don Knotts are- to our little Mike Skelly's <laughs> listening uh, in their cars. <laughs> So you've noticed the shaking, huh? Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> oh man! I mean, from like from a writing, like what creating kind of a thing. Yeah, what exactly? So or staffing? To, uh, yeah, to to, to uh, aspiring writers who are either just starting out or, or early in into their careers. Oh God! Yeah, uh, my heart really goes out to young uh, you know, aspiring writers right now. I think. This this trend of write two amazing pilots, <laughs> yeah, and then and then we'll we might meet with you, right? <laughs> to me, if I, I I don't know what the curse it's it's fucking insane, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> you can curse here, hell yeah, ass damn. <laughs> it's it is so hard for a very experienced writer to write an amazing pilot. It's hard to write a decent pilot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and now people want you not only to do it once, but do it twice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the twice part is to like prove a track record with it or to prove that it's not a fluke? That the first one's not a fluke. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it, it's insanity. And I think a lot of great writers are being missed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the process or um, and because this thing started uh, maybe six, seven years ago, this trend where I think agents thought and maybe studios thought this was going to be kind of a gold mine of we'll get these great pilot scripts from young writers. They won't cost a lot and that'll be a new way to develop TV. It never panned out. And, and the the pilots now they're used for staffing, so I'm not really that interested as a showrunner. If you can write a great pilot, if you can, God bless you, you know. <laughs> but I'm I'm more interested in can you mimic the tone of my show? Yeah, you know, because that's what your job is going to be. Right. Your your job. I'm not hiring you to create a new show. I'm hiring <laughs> you to write this show, uh, and so. That's nuts. I don't. People, if you want to like aspiring writers, talk to your agents, talk to you know, or your managers, your reps about this thing. I'm kind of like of the school now. I mean, I don't believe in it at all. But if you have to do it, I would do one pilot and one spec script of an existing show, mm-hmm. uh, like something on the air. And if if I haven't seen the show, well, that's on me. You know, <laughs> I can go look up. I can go watch a couple episodes. And see if if you nailed it, right. you know, because uh, that's what I care about. And that's what like Julie and I look for when we're hiring writers. You know, once in a while you do come across a great pilot and, and that's fun. But when you get a stack of 200, like, wow, 200 pilots, 200 amazing pilots. Television is all set for the next 30 years. <laughs> and there, I, I've talked to some showrunners who also kind of have that feeling where they're just tired of the pilots right. mm-hmm. and, and your decision is usually made in the first 10, 15 pages, sometimes in the first five, if you're not into it, you're moving on to another script. Cause you could, you're trying to read more writers. So yeah, that's good advice. Uh, yeah. So, 
you know, and when you're doing your pilot, you know, be hard, be your harshest critic, uh, because don't think that, well, but act three is great. So when they get to act, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, the first two acts are a little shaky, but they're going to love act three. Like, if the first two acts are shaky, they're, <laughs> they're not, not going to get to act three. three. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like if you are writing a pilot and you are brainstorming the whole season of the show, I find a lot of writers will be like, well, I'm only teasing what's going to be really unveiled in the rest of the season. And I'm like, yes. Bitch, you're never going to get there <laughs> the way yeah. that you're going. Yeah. It, it's kind of evolved into, don't even worry about it being a series. Like just write a funny pilot script and don't worry about planting yeah. all these things uh, and use it more as a writing, uh, a sample of your you know comedy writing ability. Even if it's a crazy premise, if you can execute, you know, some great funny moments and, and uh, <clears throat> the, that indicates what kind of voice you might bring to a show and, you know, hit the emotional thing. I mean, you're trying to appeal to lots of different kinds of shows with this script and it's real hard. It's a, t- <laughs> it's a tough target to hit. So uh, that, and if you're lucky enough to, you know, get a meeting somewhere, go, be prepared at the meeting. It's, this is your, I'll use an old reference. <laughs> this is your Johnny Carson set. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you're coming in, you're on the couch and it's like, you got, you know, a few minutes yeah. To make an impression. And you want to, first of all, don't sit back in the couch and get super comfortable. <laughs> sit on, you know, lean forward, sit on the edge, look excited to be there. And, you know, when we were hiring for Duncanville, somebody came in and did this thing of like just asking Julie and I questions, uh, huh. Julie and me. <laughs> and it was like, okay, it was funny the first time. <laughs> you know, she was, she did kind of a, so tell tell me about yourselves or whatever she was doing. <laughs> and, you know, and we laughed, but then, you know, the bit kept up. Oh no. Are you sure it was a bit? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say you were, you were interviewing the Zodiac killer. He was trying <laughs> yeah. to deflect. So we consequently, you know, we had other meetings scheduled and we didn't get to learn a lot about her or like what she thought of the show or about her own life. Be prepared with funny stories about your family, uh, you know, or, you know, you don't go in, you don't have to pitch stories for that series. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't, uh, and showrunners shouldn't ask you to do that uh, because it's I kind of, I don't know if it's illegal, but it's definitely unethical. Bad form. To make, <laughs> it's bad form because... If writers are coming in pitching stories, so this is more advice for showrunners. Stop asking writers to come in with stories for your pilot, for yeah. your series. If you're not going to hire that writer, yes. yeah. you those stories are not yours. Yes. <laughs> that, that goes to what's happening a lot on both the WGA and Animation Guild sides of like no free development work too. Like there's been so many bake-offs on, because everything is just a reboot of pre-existing IP now, it seems. So it, there's so many yeah. like, yeah, we'd love to hear your take. And and I'm really happy to see that the unions are really doubling down on, ah, bah, 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 don't, you know, ask unless you pay, but then the pay is so low that you're like, ah, I kind of wish you didn't pay me. (laughs) (laughs) Feels like an insult. Uh, I don't know what to do with this. That's great. Yeah, no, you, you want to come in uh, because the meetings, you you might, you might only be there for 15, 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So you get, you got to make an impression. You have, 
have a couple of four funny stories ready about your own life, your own personal experiences, where we can hear like, oh boy, they, they could bring that to the show that, you know, cause some, you know, like with Duncanville, we were asking every person, what kind of a teenager were you, mm. you know, like, and, and people were, there was a lot of, I don't know, I guess I, you know, I was a good kid and that was the answer. Like, okay, well, did you ever like get anything funny happen at school, uh, ever get in trouble, ever have a humiliating teenage moment? Uh, like, what was your relationship like with your parents? And, and if we're not getting anything out of your life, it's like, you know, you're probably not going to get hired. Uh, right. So that's a, a great thing to have ready. Uh, don't have thoughts on how to make the pilot better. Oh, no. A- after you watch it, I've <laughs> seen people do that, you know, or, or uh, yeah, fixing the, pre- changing the premise of your show. <laughs> your main character <laughs> could use a little bit of work. Oh, my God. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just all that stuff. And if it's an animated show and you're the showrunner, Make it fucking Writers Guild. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Fight for it. Yeah. Fight for it. And particularly if you have the clout to make it happen, then there's no excuse yes. for not doing that uh, because your writers are going to get screwed. Yeah. Uh, you know, in money, in healthcare, in pension. And it's the same yeah. job. It's the same exact job. Yeah. I'm really glad that yeah. you brought that up because, you know, when you were talking earlier about being typecast as the cartoon guy, um, I, I feel like a similar thing is happening with the division of animation guild covering shows versus writers guild covering shows and, you know, no shade to the animation guild and the fine people over there. They are all very nice, fine people. But, you know, when you look at the pay discrepancy, there's this really great graphic going around right now that, you know, just don't, like in the simple facts, like the pay for a WGA covered show is triple the amount yes, of the pay of <laughs> an animation guild show. And what that does is it makes it look like all the animation guild animated shows are less than, and therefore the writers that are working on those shows are basically like the level of an intern in the WGA's eyes. And it becomes really difficult to break out of that. Oh yeah. And the TV being like the, market being what it is right now, if you're a a comedy writer trying to break in, there's more chance of you, uh, and even for experienced writers, there's there's much more of a chance of you landing on an animated show now than say like a multicam because they don't make that many multicams. There's there's a good chance almost every writer now is going to wind up, you know, working on an animated show at some point. The genre has proven itself time and time again to be very lucrative, you know, for the studios, the public. You know, this is not the experiment of The Simpsons in 1989. Right. Uh, right. You, know, <laughs> you know, and I've even seen quotes from execs at like Cartoon Network and adults where they're saying that the exact thing about the genre has proven itself like, okay, then stop (laughs) treating, stop treating writers. Like it's an, like it's a big financial risk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The risk is exactly the same as it is in live action. And you have no problem turning out one cop show after another. And uh, one Nathan uh, Fillion is continuing to work and we are grateful, but (laughs) so I think this is a crucial time for animation writers. Uh, 
And I get so upset because I know how we fought for this, you know, 23 years ago to get animation covered by the Guild. And now I see, you know, particularly if I see a writer who has the clout to do a show, Writers Guild, and just takes care of their own deal. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and, and then, because also when you're a showrunner, you're going to have a staff that's constantly got one foot out the door looking yeah. for a Writers Guild gig. Right. Yeah. You know, people want health care. They want a yes. pension. They, you know, they want to take care of their family. We have cavities. LA's in, yeah, LA is insanely expensive. So, yeah, I know I'm, I'm basically you know, dancing. I'm doing everything but saying Dan Harmon's name, but I'm just going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dan, well, there it is. <laughs> Dan fucking Harmon, do the right thing. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> it's I, it's not a question of your talent whatsoever. You're a super talented guy, but take care of your writing staff mm-hmm. and don't be the hammer that that studios can use against other less experienced show creators and writers yeah. uh, to get to get writers guild coverage. Don't let writers be treated less than other writers. Exactly. Yeah. I think right. that's great. Uh, thanks so much. I, I honestly think that uh, your voice obviously is making a, a big splash in this conversation. And uh, we appreciate having a, a platform where you're able to share that as well. Um, oh, uh, gee, were you recording? I don't want to that on the air. So. I was going to say, I'll, I'll give you a platform. Yeah. <laughs> Straight to Dan Harmon's desk. Um. No, no, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a company man all the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for oh, coming I'm on. Blessed. Uh, so, uh, Duncanville, people can watch it on Hulu and on Fox. Um, uh, is there anything else that you would like to plug before we say our goodbyes? Um, I, I think that's it. I think we've covered everything. Sweet. Uh, I, and I guess they should look at which show was it you were trying to find? Was it, uh, top of the heap? Yes, or- top, <laughs> of the top of the heap. <laughs> the married with children yes. spinoff. Matt LeBlanc, oh, baby yeah. face Matt oh. LeBlanc. Also, has yeah. my my lag got better? Right, we got closure did. on the lag. Oh, great, listeners! They're probably cheer. They're pulling over in their cars, cheering, Absolutely. shouting to the heavens, to their gods. <laughs> Thank God that we figured that out. Thanks, guys. Yes. Uh, okay, and Julio. Hey, where can people find you? Oh, thanks so much for asking. You can find me at Julia Prescott on all the things. Allie, where can people find you? Thank you so much for asking. You could find me at Allie Gertz and all the things. You could find us at Simpsons Pod on Twitter and Round Springfield is a production of Maximum Fun. We are a member-supported show, so go to MaximumFun.org slash join to contribute. Our booking manager is Jesus Ambrosio, and our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Swish. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.